The Armor of God, Part 5. We actually are moving, moving forward this week. Ephesians 6.17, to uh, get the context again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pick it back up. In the, we know our, our struggle is against forces of eagle, satanic forces to be exact. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, helmet of salvation. Literally, uh, you could, it could literally be translated the helmet which is salvation. That would be a correct statement. And this helmet is, in fact, that salvation uh, which all believers possess and incorporate with that the knowledge of who we are in Christ. Okay, it's, again, now, the helmet is protecting the head. You know, it's like in the heat of battle, you know, you get excited and trials. Don't lose your head, right? Keep your head. Uh, the enemy, uh, it's kind of the picture is this. Uh, you know, you're in there hand-to-hand combat. Most of it back then was mostly all hand-to-hand combat. We, we, when you're fighting with swords and spears primarily, you're close. <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you're not out there a mile and a half away using a sniper rifle. So it's hand-to-hand combat. Also, too, when you're down there like this, the other guys, you know, both armies, they have cavalry, you know. And so they've got guys with these great big long swords that come, come tooling by on the horse and just take sh- head shots at the, at the uh, folks on the ground. So, you know, your head is vulnerable from all sides, front and back, side, because uh, you, you got not only have the, the person you're – engaged in hand-to-hand combat with, but you have others coming through on horses, and then other people. You're, you, you may be going one-on-one with somebody. There's other people over there, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you, you can get swung on from all sides. And so that, that head is a bona fide target. As a matter of fact, um, the, uh, <clears throat> when we get down to the, the sword, we'll see, we'll see that down there. So that helmet needs protection. Now, and protection against, really, in one way, our our own thinking process sometimes. Under trials, how far down in the dumps do we get? How far excited do we get? Do we just throw up our hands and give up? You know, you know crawl into the corner and assume the fetal position. Where do we, what do we do? So I've just listed a couple of things. I didn't want to, you know, major on this to the point where we, you know, beat it to death. Uh, but um, first, first point there, no matter what trials and temptations we face, the Lord will see us through them. He will see us through them, no matter how ugly things get. And I'm going to look at it from two angles, trials and temptations, because they both uh, run together in this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We haven't got there yet, but speaking of swords, this passage has a double-edged sword, so, so to speak, on it too. It says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you 
but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with, with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. The double-edged sword is this. One side, you'll never ever be tempted beyond what you can handle, spiritually speaking. Whatever your spiritual level, level is, God will not let you be tempted beyond whatever level you're at. The downside to that, the other side of that sword is this. What that's telling us is every time we fall to a temptation, it's our fault. It's our fault. <laughs> you know? And I don't know if you go back far enough to remember Flip Wilson and the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Unless you're demon-possessed. Okay? <laughs> the, the devil did not make you do it. You chose to do it. I chose to do it. Whenever we sin, it's our fault. It's not God's fault. He, he, is not gonna, he does not throw temptation to us to sin. He just doesn't do that. He'll send us trials, but he will not tempt us to sin. I don't know if it's important, but trials could actually result in sin if we don't handle them properly. You know, um, <clears throat> and one of the benefits of trials, often we're going to see that we're going to look at that famous James passage. But uh, first of all, I'd like to look at Second Peter two nine. Peter tells us. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. The, the context here, why, why would he say that? Well, because the context of chapter two has these he's uh, warning the church that uh, apostates are getting ready to infiltrate the church. As a matter of fact, um, second in Second Peter, Peter's warning the church, look out, these people are coming. And if you move into the book of Jude, Jude says, they're here. <laughs> okay, they've crept in. They are now here. So, and that's why you get that little extra note on there. And then the various trials and temptations we face in life will stimulate spiritual growth. Let's look at James. And this one, when I was early on in my Christian walk, I thought the passage I'm going to read you actually sounded strange, but um, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, like, I woke up this morning, the water pipe broke, and there's three inches of water all over the house. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Count it all joy. Jump up and down and get all goosebumpy. Maybe not the day you find it. <laughs> but hopefully, looking back on those kinds of trials, you, can, you didn't lose hope. You didn't rattle off a whole bunch of words you wish you didn't, and so forth and so on, and get upset. And I know it's very difficult. But verse 3, keep moving, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the more trials you get, you, you, the more trials you, that come your way and you get through them, and maybe some of them not 
tremendously wonderfully. <laughs> but you do get through them, and the more you go through to the believer, the more strength you're actually going to pick up, even if you don't do so well at first. It's going to it's going to happen. Um, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, perfect in the sense of spiritual maturity, that you may mature and be complete. But in all of you, and in verse 5, and this is still part of the same uh, deal here on testing, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the, the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by a wave. And let not that man <clears throat> expect that he, he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his age. Well, what double-minded? Yeah. In other words, don't try to handle a trial in the flesh. What do you mean double-minded? Sometimes you're, thinking, you're functioning in the flesh over here, then trying to function in the spirit over here. Don't be double-minded. Do it God's way. Do it in the spirit. That's where he says, if you lack wisdom how to handle a trial, pray for it. Pray for wisdom. See, it's not, this is not just a passage on prayer, an isolated thing. If you notice James, the book of James is written in a different way than most than the other New Testament books. It, um, it's, it's more in the, the type of approach like the book of Proverbs is, is written, you know, where it just it moves through. But verse nine. But let the brother of a hum, but the, let the brother of humble circumstances glorify in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like a flowering grass which pass away, pass away, which will he will pass away, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the, withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of it of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man is in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who who perseveres under trial. See, this was always about trial. So, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then it goes on to talk about, let him say who is tempted that I'm being tempted to God. God does not tempt one to sin. Okay. Now, so that's again. There's a again. There's two ways to look at these temptations: through the flesh, get all angry and bent out of shape, or through the mind, through the eyes and mind of God, where we look at these trials and temptations, and can actually muster up joy, being as that we're being strengthened. We're being, and I know uh, we're. We all have, and a lot of it depends on the degree of temptation. The timing, timing is everything. You know, but, and some of you might be thinking, well, it's easier said than done. Very often it is easier said than done. So, but anyway, that is ideally, but that's protecting the head. Be thinking wisely on these things and and from a biblical standpoint. And again, when they hit, especially those trials that come flying out of nowhere, when you least expect it, boom, and and really knock you off your pins, you know. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when, you're, when you're not at your what you think best, that's when God. That's why He says it, in the weakness, yeah. He works. Yeah, we, we don't do it. 
Yeah, trials and temptations come like that too. As a matter of fact, I, you say that, and uh, you know, it was after forty days of fasting, Satan decided to take a shot at the, the Lord. And the, this is as weak as you're ever going to find him, and he went after it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, take heed lest you fall, right? <laughs> yeah, pride goes before destruction, yeah. Okay, the knowledge of, you know, and again, uh, and here's one of the things that gives us strength and courage. I mean, you know, this is the 4th of July, and I look around, and um, I see in, in many regards what... Terrible, what terrible shape we're uh, we're in. Uh, <laughs> um, as, as a nation, you know, and it 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 kind of it kind of bugs me, but uh, but just knowing who we are in Christ and the security we have in Christ, and I want to look at that this morning. But look at First Thessalonians five eight. <laughs> hey, we got the room. Bring him in. <laughs> First, First Thessalonians five eight. But since we are, let me get set the context while they're going. We and the this is actually a passage that is looking forward to the end times, and it's showing the difference between the saints and the ain'ts. Okay. And so now we're in, we're in the saint section when we get down to verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and, and, and love, and as a, helmet, as, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for the obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore... Encourage one another and build upon build up one another, just as you are also doing. Now, there it is. No matter how things go, and like I say, I look off, I look at our country, and you wonder sometimes how long this country is even going to last. Whatever happens, know this: we have a future. We have a future. We have a we have an eternity with God. We haven't turned to God. As wonderful of a nate as a country this is, um, you know, this country is not destined to be eternal. No nation is. God's kingdom is the only kingdom that's eternal. <clears throat> and as, as we approach the end of our Ephesian study, we'll be getting closer to that prophecy study that I said we're going to go to after, and we are, with a little thing in between. <laughs> about uh, discussing some of the things going on today, like the big question that came up, and that'll be in a couple of weeks, about what about this LGBTQ, whatever, you know, nuts, 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 yeah, all that. Um, And I put a quote down here, and I think everybody may have the one I penned it in, but um, during his trials, Job's trials, I mean, you want to know what a real trial looks like? 
Read the book of Job. I mean, you think you got trouble. Read what that poor man had to go through. And in the midst of it, Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. I mean, even, <laughs> you know, and it's in, in, in uh, First Thessalonians where it says, therefore encourage one another and build, one, build up one another just as you are doing. Um, he didn't get a lot of that. He had some friends that came with some really lame advice. And then what was really helpful is the wife, right? Why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> oh, that wasn't helpful. You know, I was like, you can say, why don't you get back in the kitchen and be quiet? No. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah. Well, some women deserve it. But, um. You don't want to go there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Great, yeah, sometimes more golden than others, but, um. I don't know if I'm going to read all of these, but um, we are, I hope everybody understands the security that we have in Christ. And no matter what happens, no matter how beaten down we think we are, you know, we have a few. I'm going to start with John 6. John 6. I know a lot of folks like to, like to hear it from Jesus himself, and why not? However, when you read your scriptures, the red letters are no more the scripture than the black ones, just to let you know, because sometimes people just, (laughs) and I'm not uh, playing down the words of Christ by any means, but just know that the uh, all scripture, that includes the red letters, the black letters, and all those letters in the Old Testament, okay, they're all Theonostas, God breathed. 6.35 Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and and yet you do not believe. He's he's challenging the unbelieving crowd, uh, those that keep, keep harassing him. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Here again, just just know this. If a person really comes to Christ, that means that's another way of saying become saved, a true believer, I will certainly not cast out. Now, Jesus said it. You want to, you can, that's something, you can take that to the bank. Let's face it. That, if, you know, he said it. And verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Repetition. Emphasis. Why? Understand it. Once you're brought into my kingdom, you stay in my kingdom. I mean, it's just, it's a magnificent truth. Uh, 
And he, he keeps going, 40, verse 47 of, of, of John 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. And when he says eternal, some of your friends might say everlasting. That's exactly what it is. Eternal is everlasting, unending life. When you become born again, you are born to an everlasting life. A life, you are born to a life that will not end. See? And, and it's, he just goes on. I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. Yeah, well, see, the manna was good food and it pictured Christ, the true bread of life. But again, that the manna wasn't Christ. It was a picture of him. This is the bread which comes out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for, for the life of the world is my flesh. There he is. Is my flesh. And then he goes on and he makes it he makes it sound harder and harder and tougher to drive out the unbelievers. And boy, they ran too. <laughs> but uh, where he talks about unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was talking metaphorically there about unless you truly believe in who I am, you're not there. You're not there. And that was a and that was what's going on. And it um in this, this passage, which makes it even more um, strange in a way that he's talking to a bunch of people that didn't get it. A lot of these people that didn't get it were of the 5,000 he miraculously fed. Yeah, they just wanted they were, And which shows you, because I know in our, in our day and age, there's a lot of people that say, oh, the miracles are wonderful, wonderful, you have faith like you know, the, the miracles of Christ ne- never saved uh, anybody. They were signs as to who he is. Same thing with the apostles. The one miracle that does save is the miracle of regeneration. <laughs> but, uh, and that's totally on him. And then John 10, the, gr- the good shepherd, you know. Um, John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And once again, he's uh, talking back to the Jews who were once again ragging on him, always antagonizing uh, his ministry. They, he's, I, I, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Again, mark of a true believer. They, they, they believe, they follow. They don't stop following. And I give, again, eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. See, there's no trial that can come along where they can, they can yank you out of the uh, saving hand of, of God. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And it's kind of like, verse 30 is like an oh by the way. <laughs> I and the father are one. One in essence. See, one in essence. The Father and Son are one in essence. Very huge point. And if we took that further out, remember if you think back to the messages on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three, one in essence. One in essence. Okay, we'll forego Romans 8. Tremendous, tremendous passage. I... All right, Romans 8. What did he say? 
It's really marked up for a reason in this book. I don't yeah. know why. I think maybe we will probably have to visit that. It's one of the things. By popular demand, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight. Should we all read it together? <laughs> <laughs> yes, with Bibles closed. Oh. Uh-huh, now, yeah, now you now you change it. <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight, the golden chain of redemption. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, including the trials and tribulations, okay? <laughs> For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these also he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these also glorified. There's your three components of salvation. Those who are predestined, he called, he justified. Justified, remember, that's a, a forensic term, judicial term, declared not guilty. These and those also he called and justified, he also glorified, right? So you've got justified, justification, we are now living in the sanctification process, you know, where trials and tribulation are causing us to grow. And then he's looking ahead even. He also, and this is written as something already accomplished, he also glorified. That's referring to the future, when we finally get into heaven in our new glorified bodies. Well, why does he say it already happened? Because positionally, it has. Positionally, before God, we are there. It's just a matter of letting the clock run out and our sanctification process complete. But it's done. It's just, and that's, by using those terms, it's another point of, that t- teaches us security. We're there. He couldn't say, he couldn't refer to us in a completed form if we're not going to complete. <laughs> you know, it's like the folks that lose, that say you can lose your salvation. You know, it, when... Uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he didn't say you must be born again and again and again and again and again. No, one time. It's a one-time deal. And, it, and, and two, and you read through this, another reason we know we're not going to fail, it's an act of God. Like, Look at, yes. Said, uh, nobody will snatch you. You're already dead. Nobody can snatch nope. you. Out of my hand. No, 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 because nobody, nobody is stronger than God. Can't happen. Can't happen. I grew up with the, um, the you can lose your salvation mm. and you can you, you rededicate your life again and again and again. And I found it very emotionally taxing. Yeah. It would be. Um, it was very it would be. Um, inconsistent, unsecure, yeah. and um, really unknown for me to go up and down constantly or watch my family go up and down. Like, oh, I'm sick. Yeah. How how are we today? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, saved at breakfast, lost at lunch, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. Well, you know, I, it's a similar situation in the Catholic Church, right? I was. Raised a Catholic, 12 years of Catholic education. 
And um, basically, just looking back, is you're trying to work out your salvation through your flesh. And there they had a, it was a different system than the, the Protestant version of losing your salvation. But still, it, it caused the Man, you talk about zero security. It's like, good gravy. You're on your own, basically. And it, it made you kind of play games in a way, too. I can do whatever I want. And if I start feeling poorly, just, just hightail it into the confessional. Hey, good to go. <laughs> Literally, you know. <laughs> but uh, not good to go was the truth. <laughs> and I tell you, these, that's why, you know, it's, and it's all here in the book. It's all here in the book, you know. And you look at, this, this is why I didn't go, because I knew we'd be here. But verse 30 says, for whom he predestined. Look at the action. It is, it's, it's he, not we. <laughs> it's he. He did it all. He predestined. He called. He justified. And whom, you know, these also, he glorified. He also glorified. It's him. It's not us. And thank God it's not us. We'd find a way to mess it up. I mean, that's sin nature. We would find a way to mess it up. You know, it's interesting is this ties directly back to the John 10, 28 passage. You can't even get you out of God's hand. Yeah. This is what, this is what Romans 8 is echoing here. Yeah. It's actually saying if you're a believer, you're going to fall. You, you're going to have trials. But it's for your spiritual growth. Yeah. It's for the benefit. We don't have to run back and, like you say, you know, talk to a, a person to, to have our sins forgiven. It's been done. It has been dealt with. Yeah, and that's another thing I you know, mentioned that this is a lot like you know, John 10 and John 6, really. But I, I love this, too, about Scripture, the consistency of Scripture. Whether it's something Jesus said or Paul wrote, it's consistent with each other, as you would expect the Word of God to be. It's totally consistent. And it's completely inconsistent when you think that you lost your salvation. We have people in our lives, family, that we love dearly, that believe that. And it's, it, like you said, it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster. You can see <clears throat> that their lives are you know, so up and down. With all, and the, what Bob was saying, the, the security that you have in that to know that there's going to be trouble. But how we respond to that? takes away that, that roller coaster because it's all dependent upon him, right? It's beautiful. Moving through eight here, let's um, pick, Let's drop down pick it up at 35, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Based upon everything he just said, he throws out some, some questions. And we know, you know we, we can give the answer. These are hypotheticals, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, no one. Right? Shall tribulation, and then he says, well, so let me throw some more, let me throw some ideas out there that might separate us, right? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, that means like total just destitute of anything, or peril, or sword. There's our, there's your some of the worst trials you might be able to go through. Is any of this going to separate us from the love of Christ? The answer, the obvious answer is no. 
Just as it is written, verse 36, for, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Even if they kill us, we are not separated from the love of Christ. We are, we are going to be there. Verse 37, but, and I love this one, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. The King James with Israel, we are more than conquerors, you know, through him who loved us. And then just in case we didn't quite understand and get what this security thing is, he adds 30, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that those are your angelic beings again, um, nor, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That leaves nothing else, especially that last little one there, you know, uh, or any other created thing. <laughs> Not only everything I mentioned, but anything else that was created, which doesn't leave anything out, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Not even our own stupidity at times. It's not going to do it. I mean, that is the grace of God given to us. And now, the sword of the Spirit. We can do this. Sound excited, Bob. Sword. Makaira sword. This is a kind of Makaira sword. This one they're talking about here. This that little short one that goes from about six inches to eighteen inches. The smaller versions we went in our in the English we would probably call a dagger. Okay, they had them in all sizes. Uh, these were the shorter ones. These are the ones where you picture if you ever seen the the movies with the Roman legions out there. They had the round shield and then they had the the short sword, probably you know foot to eighteen inches long when they're wielding it. The dagger was for something else. That was a uh, for behind-the-scenes work. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, yeah. Hey, Caesar. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Brutus, what's happening? Yeah. Okay. And this sword is primarily an offensive weapon, although it is used defensively. Um, this is the type that Peter, this probably a, the smaller version of it, pulled out in the garden, remember, and whacked off the ear of Malchus? the high priest servants. James, the brother of John, was put to death uh, at the command of Herod with this type of sword. So I figure he's probably run through with it as opposed to getting your head chopped off. They usually use the big one to do that. But you can see that in Acts 12. Now the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the, the, the word here is rhema, not logos, which is a little, we're used to the word logos. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Well, logos primarily refers to more general statements or messages. Rhema refers to individual words or particular statements. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 1. I think an example of the use of Rhema is a better explanation than me trying to define it. Luke 1.38 says, remember this is the, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord... Be it done to me according to your word. Your word. And the angel departed from him. According to your word. Now your word, angel, what, what word was that? Was it the entire Bible? No. It was those words spoken to her by the angel. 
saying, you know, you are going to have a son. He will be great. In the, I mean, he will be called the son of God. Those specific words, that's where we're at. See, that's, that's the difference between Rhema and Logos. So you look at, in the beginning was the word. He encompasses the entire word. <laughs> you know, he encompasses more than just specific statement. He uncovers it all. Rhema is referring to specific statements. Uh, 2.25 is another one. We're right here in Luke 2.25. Um. <clears throat> so the, the the one in seventeen where it says word is Rama. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The sword of the Lord is is a it is like a word from the Lord, you know. And we'll <clears throat> and so in here when you've got uh, again another what I call a, a it's kind of a Christmas passage, just the other post birth Christmas passage. Remember Simeon. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the de- he would not see the death before he had seen uh, the Lord. And it goes on to say, um, <clears throat> verse twenty nine: Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace, according to your word. So the word that was somehow given to him, that specific word about he would be able to see the Messiah before he passed on. Ah, I now your word now is fulfilled. So that that's the difference. That's the difference. And uh, the Hebrews passages are really great, but we don't need to beat this word to death. But um, <clears throat> Hebrews 1.3, and he said, Radiance of glory, exact reputation. Speaking of Christ, his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's Rhema. I mean, God speak. He spoke the, the world the universe into existence, and by his word, it maintains, it's, it's maintained by him. That specific word of him, it's, it's, it's using the word, again, in a more specific area as, as opposed to a more broad and general area. So you get the idea, I hope. I, of course, I got a question. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, when it's referring to Now, what do you, what do you, I, never I don't, mind, never mind, I gotta look it up. Please. Okay. Now, again, and then by faith, going to the other, going to the other side of this, it says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were pre- prepared by the Word of God. You know, a specific Rhema type use of that would be, let there be light. That's a specific word, you know, and all of that. Now, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, and we already referenced it, but you know what it is. In Matthew 4, for example, where he was out, where he was being tempted in the wilderness after the 40 days. What did he do when Satan said, uh, turn these stones into bread? What did he say? Right, he responded with Scripture. Man does not live by bread. And all the other attacks. You know, well, the last one, for example, he said, "Why don't you bow down and worship me? I'll give you all this, and you don't have to. You don't have to go through that death." Is the insinuation? Just take it now. Take it now. And what did he say to that? You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Right. See, that was the rhema, the specific word response. So, good call. Um, the word of God, both rhema and logos, have a preeminent position in the believer's armor. And I just marked it because we've talked about these, the belt of truth, gospel of peace, 
helmet of salvation, word of God. Uh, a good quote by a fellow, Richard Lenski, he's a, I have his commentaries. He put, this, put it this way. As truth, <clears throat> as truth the, word, the, the word belts us, as the gospel of peace, it puts, it puts the readiness of courage into our hearts. As the faith, the doctrines which we believe, teach and confess, it shields us against all the wicked one's lies. In addition to all this, the word and utterances smites and defeats our foe himself. What a true description of, of this is the word of God. What a call then to every one of us to arm himself with it. I thought that was a great statement. I thought I'd share it with you. And then John MacArthur put it this way. He says, the Christian who does not know God's word well cannot use it well. Okay? And I thought that would be a good... There's our application for the day. You know, let's close in prayer because we're gathering with hooks and the shepherd's staff. With the... <laughs> That's right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, we thank you for the armor that is there. And we pray we have the wisdom to pick it up and wear it. In Jesus' name, amen.